The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson on a Monday morning reviewing week four of the NFL. Yeah. How you doing, man? Doing good. How about you, Steve? Doing great. I'm just going to turn you down. Me just down? Just a touch here. We yeah. only have to turn you down. Do you bring the energy this week? What are you wearing? Oh, you got your face on you. PFF Podcast t-shirt. I would never wear a shirt with my face on it. No? I thought, haven't you already done that? Well, four faces of my own. Yeah. Yeah. Four of my faces. Well... Need more. We need more shirts. More of your faces? I don't. I don't think Maybe. we need that. Buy the shirt. Sam's face on it. PFF podcast. Anyway, no, uh, no singing this week. No, man. People were asking for it. People Did the numbers asking, go through the roof? People were asking for different songs. Real? Oh, yeah. that's a good. That's a good call. The Irish Rover definitely isn't my song. It didn't help. I think so. I've never done this before, right? So when we tested the sound, it was like, yeah, I can hear the music. But it turns out when you're actually singing it back, you can't hear the music yeah. in your own head again. It's a relatable song, right. too. I mean, so there's I need, so many things in there. If that we're are... doing it again, I would need to like crank up the volume in my ear so I could at least stay in on time with the the, the music. That was a problem. All right, we're going to get into all the big storylines from week four. Sam's not going to sing today, but, no. you know, if you guys coerce him and buy more PFF Elite subscriptions, we'll see. Maybe on well, the we're Thursday need, podcast. Yeah, significantly more Elite sales a lot in more. order for me to do that again. We need like 10, right, maybe guaranteed like 10, sales. 10 guaranteed sales. That's what it is. And then we'll get to like 20 guaranteed. You know, we'll start right. up in the ante. Uh-huh. All right. So that's what you get. That's what podcasts do. They give you like a little incentive yeah. to get what you want. So if you give, So if we get to like... What we need is proof of purchase sales. If we, we get go. to 10 of those, we'll ten sing of, again. And this can happen anytime. As soon as we get those 10 uh, elite sales, or does it have to be like this week? No, nah, I mean, when we just when we hit it. Okay, when as we soon as 10, we get to 10 elite. We hit 10 proof of purchase, like this is to create singing. You know All what right. I mean? Yeah, send us a screenshot and we'll get Sam so to, to sing another song. So podcast at PFF is the email. If we yeah. get 10 of those roll in, I'll sing another song. I like it. This is great. This is how uh, this is how we do business. Yeah. Uh, were you on TV last night? Were you on Sunday Night Football? Were you on that little... Uh, yeah, in the ad. Nice job. Thanks. Yeah. I think you could see my face. In nice. There. I was on a couple of times. Very fleeting, but yeah, on a couple of times. Because me, me and Solly did the video in here. That was a 30-second spot. And there's a three-minute version that's going to be over on AWS's website. Might be there already. Um, but just, you know, a little... 
inside baseball, as they call it, a little behind the scenes. Took us two days to do that 30-second spot. Really did. Two days of turning PFF Towers over here into uh, Hollywood Studio. It was amazing. Like, they had a whole film crew roll in, <laughs> monopolize the whole building for a couple great. of days, filming all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Anyway, so let's, uh, let's get into the action. Let's, let's go back to Thursday night football. Philadelphia Eagles defeat the Green Bay Packers. What a fascinating game this was. I think, if you remember back that far, from a decision-making standpoint, the Packers, or not even decision-making, but execution as well, the Packers had to settle for field goals. I remember seeing some people on Twitter saying, this feels like the game where Green Bay is controlling the action and then the Eagles are just winning by halftime. And they were, um, but they were winning by an extra touchdown because Rodgers got strip-sacked in the pocket and that led to an extra score. It's another one of those games where I think the Eagles' decision-making continues to just put them ahead of the game, knowing when to go for it and when to just making good decisions over and over, increasing their odds just a little bit. Yeah, and then the other key was, you know, the, the Eagles were a better team than their record because they had literally dropped passes that would have won both the previous games where they lost. So the idea that the Eagles were going to come out and be significantly better than people were giving them credit for, I think, shouldn't have been a shock to anybody, and that's kind of what happened. Yeah, and um, you know Rogers he keeps having a weird game, right? He or a, he a lot like last year, he would play pretty well for a lot of the game, and then you know he, I don't know in crunch time he missed a couple throws, but he still had them at the goal line and kind of has an unlucky interception. We talked about this on our on this little preview show that we did on on Sunday, me and Austin, and it was how quarterbacks the perception of how a quarterback is playing can be completely dictated by when it happens. Right. So Baker Mayfield, I haven't checked what this grade or the grade was this week, but Mayfield's PFF grade, like in the first quarter was 80 something. And then in the fourth quarter after three weeks, it was 40. Right. So it's not that, so everyone keeps asking, you know, Baker's not playing well right now. Why have you guys still got him ranked to like 15th or something in the grades? Right. And that's part of the answer is because he's actually playing quite well in the first half of games it's just that when the chips are down and when things were going badly and they needed him to show up in the fourth quarter, that's when he stank through three weeks, right? right. Whereas the opposite is kind of true, again, after three weeks before this week about Josh Allen. Was that every, he would actually play quite badly overall, but then would come up with a big play. And it's amazing how much one big play can make you forget about. Because, again, your brain kind of functions along that highlight reel outcome-based mentality right so you will forget about a lot of stuff if your guy comes up with one big game defining play oh absolutely and that's so those two are are kind of a big example of that but it's it really happens across the board and that's why you know sometimes perception is completely different from what's actually happening and it generally evens out over time um the question i posed in the eagles green bay game was we always talk about offense dictating and we've seen some good defenses around the nfl right now right I think there were still some question marks about Green Bay's defense after facing uh, Trubisky, Kirk Cousins, road Kirk Cousins, as I said, and Joe Flacco against Denver. And then they run into an Eagles team um, that really did uh, run it at will. I think we we had talked about the Packers kind of making the right decision as far as going smaller, kind of inviting teams to run, which, you know, if teams are – if they're averaging five or six a pop, can uh, in a one game, oops, in a one game sample, can beat you, and that's what the Eagles did. What did you just do? Drop my pen and then caught it. Oh, and almost wrecked the entire audio setup in the process. Yeah, we're good. We're professionals here. Okay, we got this. 
Um, so the, so Green Bay got run over. Wentz made enough throws when he needed to, missed a few along the way, but overall he's still uh, playing pretty well. Wentz, um, his best throws, again, he threw like a like a back shoulder that Mac Hollins got knocked out of bounds, but the throw was right there. Carson Wentz's best throws have fallen incomplete this year. Um, and that's another, especially in a four-week sample, another perception thing. Yeah. Right? I mean, when your best throws, he's got five big-time throws so far this year that have fallen incomplete in four weeks. Yeah, that's insane. Right? And if you just, you know, over the shoulder, caught, over the shoulder, caught, back shoulder, I mean, it completely changes the numbers and the stats. So Wentz is playing even better than some of the numbers would indicate. That's key. When you go back and everyone's just looking at those box score numbers, these are why those things lie lots. Yeah. A lot of the time, um, over the course of a few games, that can be everything. Devontae Adams was spectacular in that game. Then he gets hurt. Uh, They're clearly a different team without uh, Aaron Rodgers' binky out there. So... Binky. Okay. Binky. Yeah. Hmm. That's what he is. All Alex, right. Alex Light. I mean, the old line got Demora. Billy Turner. The number one guard in the NFL? No? I don't like to always call people out, but last week there was a tweet saying Billy Turner was the number one pass blocking guard per ESPN. People are calling us that, so I think I think let rip, to be honest. So I did. I said he's ranked 68th for us in pass blocking. I don't... 74. Like, so, so they I don't, had him first. We had him 68th. There, there's a lot of different ways of doing things. You know, there's many different ways to skin a cat, Steve. But somewhere along the line, something's just objectively wrong, right? And if your system is spitting out the idea that Billy Turner is the number one guard in the NFL, when not just we are saying that's ridiculous, but anybody that's like looked at him ever is saying that's absurd. Like anyone that watched a Packers game this year is saying that's ridiculous. Anyone that studies offensive line, you know, the O-line Twitter guys, they're saying it's ridiculous. Everybody except you is saying that that's ridiculous. There's something broken in your system. I don't know what it's doing, but it's wrong. It's bad. It's malfunctioning, and you should tear it to the ground and start over. Yeah, I mean, so the th- the thing about um, even with like QBR, we've caught, we've mentioned we don't love QBR necessarily here. There are snippets in truth with how QBR does things. Like I think the the, the mentality's in the right place. As far as, you know, air yards for quarterbacks and rushing matters and like the, the intent was good. I think their pass rush win, win rate, um, the intention was good. Hey, you can't lose within 2.5 seconds and all this stuff. But because it's automated, and it, 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 there's, there's some issues there. There are some issues that they're missing a lot of nuance that I think we capture. Anyway, Billy Turner gave up six pressures. Alex Light had to come in at right tackle for Billy, uh, Brian Bulaga. He got uh, owned uh, <laughs> quite a bit by the Eagles front. So... Um, if Devontae Adams is down, puts a little bit, a lot more pressure on Aaron Rodgers in that pass game. And, um, and I think the Eagles are going to settle in as who we thought they were, right? I mean, they're, they're two and two now, very good team on both sides. They need to cover more consistently on the back end as well. This but. was a huge week for them in terms of results. They ended up winning a game that I don't want again, I don't want to say it became a must win game, but it was pretty close. And then down, they got a break because Dallas, wasn't able to get it done against New Orleans last night. Yeah, so big win, NFC shakeup there. Let's get through the the rest of the league here, Sam. Um, Can we, we go straight to Kansas City, Detroit? Because that game was crazy. Yeah, it was a fascinating game, man. Let's do it. Thirty four thirty, the Chiefs win, and the Chiefs ended up putting up thirty four points, and it was like their offense was garbage all day. That's how good their offense. Well, they is. really put up twenty seven. Well, okay, twenty seven points, and it's like their offense stank all day. That's yeah. how good this Chiefs offense is. Yeah, they can they could score many ways. Um, the the Lions 
we had a feeling that they were going to pull out a, a New England Patriots type of game plan, right? Which is um, try to keep Mahomes in the pocket, get there with three or four rushers, be very disciplined um, in in containing him in the pocket and play some man coverage on the back end. I think the the thing that New England does better than anybody, you know, we track this stuff. We're like, hey, this team plays cover one, this team plays this or whatever. New England's cover one and that whole um, Belichick tree, they just play creative man coverage. They say, okay, wh- what are we going to do with our extra guys? We've talked about this before. And I think Detroit did a nice job with their extra guys. You see some plays where they're straight up doubling Travis Kelsey, where they're, you know, bringing guys into the hole. Um, and it was that perfect storm where they got a little bit of pressure when guys were open on the back end or if they didn't get pressure, they were covering really well and there was nothing within rhythm for, for Patrick Mahomes. If you can throw Patrick Mahomes off rhythm, as special as he is outside the pocket, it's still probably your best bet because making him make special throws outside the pocket over and over again is, is tough to do. Yeah, well, I mean, the point is, it's like Darren Rodgers saying, it's how do you defend this guy? There's basically no way of doing it because he's proven he can do everything to a stupidly high level but even with all that said it's still harder to do the crazy things than it is to do the routine stuff so it's probably gonna it's not gonna work ultimately because you're still able to put up 27 points playing like that but it's your best bet right it's if you just let him do what he wants he's gonna carve you up to pieces you might as well make you might as well make him beat you by doing something crazy yeah um the other absurd play did you see the lateral in this game yeah of course that's nuts. Yeah. That cuz the thing Great so feel by Travis Kelsey. Right. That was not a design hook and ladder, right? He cuz the play kind of broke down. Like Mahomes had to start moving to his right. It was almost ad-libbed, right? Yeah. Throws the ball to Kelsey on the way down. Kelsey basically identifies, you know what? I got a pretty easy pitch to McCoy coming here. Tosses it away right before guy comes and hits him in the back. That was unbelievable. Yeah. McCoy just catches it, gets some more yard. Like can you imagine if you now have to think about that defending this offense? It's hard enough doing everything else this offense presents us with. Now we have to worry about the guy at the back end lateraling it to somebody else. Plus, Mahomes took off a ton as well. Speaking right. of new things that you have to yes. worry about, think about it. man coverage. He read it. And when you have man coverage, you don't have eyes on the quarterback. And he took off for over 50 yards scrambling. So, And that's, again, you don't think about it, right? Like Aaron Rodgers is that he's not you know, Michael Vick or uh, Lamar Jackson or even a Josh Allen, but he's definitely athletic enough to be dangerous Yep. if you forget about it. So you have to defend that. You have to defend all the motion. You have to defend multiple different players. You have to defend the um, complex RPO stuff. Like this offense is a legitimate nightmare to have to defend. Yeah, Mahomes was uh, two for 13 for 16 yards when under pressure. Now, Understand this too. This was a lot of late pressure. It wasn't. It wasn't just getting his face pressure. But yeah, two for thirteen passing, and then you know twenty two for twenty nine when not under pressure. Uh, he didn't throw a touchdown, but we captured one. He's got a positive grade on a crossing route. It hits his receivers in his hands. It's a touchdown ninety nine percent of the time. But Justin Coleman did a really good job swatting it out. Look at that. The stats worked the other way. I'm kind of surprised that wasn't given as a touchdown. You almost had it long enough. Yeah. Well, in this, in this play, new world of it, right, in this new world of once it's in the end zone, you catch and you get two feet down. It's basically a touchdown. Right. I was surprised that that wasn't given as like that was in his hands. Two feet were down. He had complete possession. Then the punch came in. Anywhere else in the field, I I agree, right? That that's going to be given as a catch and a fumble. In fact, right. 
that's basically the same argument. If that's going to be given as a catch and a fumble anywhere else in the field, it should be a catch and a touchdown in the end zone. Uh, it was really close. It's a bit like you know Stephon Diggs had one where it was catch, bang, bang, two feet down, ball come, or I was shocked in. that they called that a fumble. I wasn't. Just I think in that was today's NFL. I, I mean, think that's what was that's what happens now. So I'm that's why I'm surprised that the Coleman one that they gave him the pass breakup for that because I, right. that should have been a touchdown to it me. Was, it was a good play by Coleman. Um, so if the, if I do have a complaint about Mahomes right now, he did, he went 0 for 6 throwing the ball down the field in this game. But some of that pressure that I that I mentioned, he's just he's kind of like stepping up too far into it. There's a lot of plays where he looks like he's just throwing in congestion, where I think his move his pocket movement's actually too much. He's actually stepping up into uh, guys that are blocked. So he, he got his arm hit a couple times. So there's a couple weird throws there. Um, but overall, he helps lead the comeback at the end. Detroit did as well as they could, I think, defensively to just make things difficult for that passing offense. Matthew Stafford had one of the most ridiculous games I've seen in a while. I think three out of his first five passes were big-time throws. I'm talking, we met, we've mentioned this over the last few weeks, we're talking like the sidearm, old-school Stafford stuff, fading away and just feeling it. He, had, he ended up with six big-time throws. We're talking like second-level throws, putting it up away from coverage, hitting guys in stride 15 to 25 yards down the field. He was awesome. Also, four turnover-worthy throws. Random throws, he misses you know, three feet behind, two really bad fumbles in the pocket. So, uh, you know, Stafford, I, I like volatile Stafford, though. We've been asking for this. Yeah. So I don't mind. The, the fumbles are avoidable. I don't mind if he misses a couple risque throws because if, if he's going to hit four or five of those per game. I think risky rather than risque. Risque. No, that's a different thing. Oh, I added to it. Yeah. All right, risky throws. All right, four or five. You know, if he makes a few risky throws and yeah. hits four or five of them, I... I'm okay with that. I like that. I mean, I like that for, for the Lions. We thought that they were going to be too conservative and run heavy, but if if it's paired with an aggressive Stafford, I think good things can happen for this yeah. Lions team. I mean, I think the point we made is that you need that, right? It, sometimes they're not going to break your way, but you have to take the rough with the smooth because trying to eliminate the bad just it takes away all of the positive as well. So you just have to roll with that. Um, what was interesting, Eric and George on the forecast – uh, Eric really made this call that the Lions are the best team in the NFC North heading into that week, right? And then they go out there and almost shock the Chiefs. And it might not be crazy. Um, most of the logic is kind of built around the fact that the other teams aren't very good. So, you know, the Bears have a phenomenal defense, but Mitchell Trubisky has been their quarterback. Um, the Vikings have a good defense, and Kirk Cousins is their quarterback. And the Packers just don't appear to be as well-rounded as the rest of them or as good across the board. Consequently, you're kind of left with the Lions as the last man standing of a team that might actually, you know, might win the division. Um, so for, to see them actually go and make life really difficult for the Chiefs, who were virtually unstoppable before that, is kind of interesting to back that up. And, and all that said, just, to, just so you know the fine line here, there was a play where Jared Davis was absolutely torched by LaShawn McCoy and Mahomes overthrew him. And there's that play in the end zone that we talked about that Coleman, yeah. you know, broke up. So as much as we're, you know, complimenting the Lions, I mean, it really is this fine line between giving up 40 and the 27 that they gave up to the offense plus another seven on the uh, fumble return by the Chiefs defense. The Lions also went full uh, Peanut Tillman punching footballs out. Dude, this game was insane. It was just the ball was coming out every two seconds. 
the broadcast did a really good job of showing it. They're showing the right hand punch to the ball. Yeah. And I always joke, oh, if you're a coach, you can't really coach turnovers. You know, turnovers are mostly luck and all that stuff. And every coach started, hey, we've got to win the turnover battle and we're going we're gonna to be aggressive. We're going to force turnovers. But this looked like a really concentrated effort to knock the ball free and they did it what's interesting is that almost nobody seems able to do that consistently right i mean lovey smith's bears were always pretty high on that list but how much of that was just charles tillman like if you take charles tillman and the patented peanut punch out of the equation how close would they have been to the top of that list every single year but nobody else seems to be able to replicate that you get games like this where a team does appear to go relentlessly after the football and force some turnovers but nobody sustains it. Like, right. Why? Why is that? I, th- I just think it's such a small number every year. You know. Right, but it doesn't appear to be that hard. Well, plus if it's to a fumble, focus on the ball and go after them the way that way. No, I know. But if, it, but even if it's a fumble, you might not be able to recover it. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. But man, the Lions did that really well. Yeah. And if you're a Chiefs fan, let's just let's just put this in perspective again. You're four weeks into the season. You've played three road games one of which might be the best team in the NFC North now, Sam. Mm-hmm. Credit those Detroit Lions. And, uh, and the Chiefs have seven home games left. I mean, they're in really good really good shape. Here. You're, the, uh, you're the outdoors versus dome expert. Does this mean Patrick Mahomes can't play indoors? Uh, no. One okay. game. All right. One game sample. Fair enough. I think, you're, I think we're okay there. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the, uh, the most perplexing team. The most perplexing team. In the NFL. Who's that? Uh, it's either, and they're both in the same game, the Falcons or the Titans. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking the Titans, but yeah, they're both they're both really annoying me right now. Yeah. Really annoying me. Yeah. I always pick the Falcons. <laughs> I always believe in the Falcons. And the Titans, they are that team. As soon as... This is why the Titans are like small sample size, you know, like reminder. Don't take this one game and extrapolated forward yeah, oh the titans are a super bowl contender oh the titans are the worst team are they ready to move on from marcus Mariota? i mean we are one week removed from Mariota's getting benched and here we are i just saw nfl research say and i don't focus on these things because i focus on our grades and the real thing that's happening but marcus Mariota is the only qb without a turnover this year somehow Really? <laughs> yeah <laughs> so he's got turnover worthy plays multiple right he's got fumbles He's taken a million sacks, yeah. but we're sitting here in week four, and somehow he hasn't turned he hasn't the ball, turned the ball over, over. And that's, he was really good in this game yesterday. Amazing. Did you see that? Th- um, my boy Corey Davis's touchdown? That was, a, yeah. that was a great throw by Mariota. He threw it early, puts it on the Hall of Famer's hands <laughs> on the out route, and then, and then the Hall of Famer does the rest. So, but like Mariota has these games. So it's like, you're right. Like Right when he's ready to be benched, it's like, oh, let me, th- let me, th- let me just throw for three scores and no picks real quick. You want to know what's kind of interesting? The, the Titans might have in A.J. Brown the player they thought they were drafting when they drafted Corey Davis. So? <laughs> I think that's just interesting. You know, they finally got that guy. It's just he's somebody else. Um, AJ Brown looked really good in this game. Yeah, uh, making play. Although some of it was due to other players on the Falcons' defense looking really not good. Like he, uh, the he absolutely wrecked Desmond Trufant on a play where I don't even know what Trufant was doing. Um, like he was miles away on both of the two sort of areas where he had a shot to do anything. Um, 
Though also, so it was this long, uh, it was like a deep in, catches it, sort of reverses field, heads back towards the sideline, almost scores the touchdown, gets run down by Deion Jones. That was kind of impressive. Deion's a linebacker. Yeah, Deion's fast. Um, now, he then missed the tackle, so it didn't matter. But um, that was some impressive play by A.J. Brown. He then scores a fade in the end zone. Like, they were dropped back to pass, like, oh, God. Why would you throw a fade? And then he makes the play. It was actually a really nice throw and catch. Fades work every now and again. Yeah, every now and again. But A.J. Brown, yeah, looked like the player that Corey Davis was supposed to be. Now, Corey Davis actually made a couple of plays in there as well. Yeah, he made but, some nice plays too. Um, I, it feels to me that the better guy is Brown. And, and that's fine. But as we're, as we're evaluating the season going in, it's like, okay, Marcus Mariota, we always use this term, mid-tier quarterback. Hey, that's Mariota. Is this the year that he has his best playmakers? You get Corey Davis in, what, year three? A.J. Brown's going to come in with some route running and after the catch ability. Um, they added Adam Humphreys, who has been you know largely quiet since they brought him in. Delani Walker's still there. And you got Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry coming out of the backfield. Like, they should have these playmakers to do some nice things, right? And it shows up, like, every couple weeks. Like, every now and again, it shows up, and the consistency just isn't there. Um, but this is literally what the Titans were like last year. They would have games yeah. where they looked terrible, and then they would like shut down the Patriots, mm-hmm. right? And it'd be like, ah, oh, maybe this is it. I mean, and then they have this defense that's uh, similar to these other defenses that in any given week they could play some, you know, mix up coverages. They can um, scheme up pressure pretty well and play some pretty good man coverage when you've got guys like Malcolm Butler and Logan Ryan and Adoree Jackson on the back end. You just never know when it's going to show up week to week. Yeah, they're, they're the kind of team where if you if you pick it right to begin with, you'll go like 16-0 picking on the Titans, you know, just going, right, this is the week they show up, this is the week they they don't, back and forth, right? Whereas if you guess wrong to begin with, you're going to spend the entire season getting it wrong, either picking the Titans to win when they don't show up or um, picking them to lose and then they show up and actually look good. They will be a maddening, maddening team, Steve. Yeah, I have a, I have a theory on all of the um, – when we were doing the quarterback clusters, the cluster three quarterbacks were the guys that we always talk about as highly volatile, guys in any given week or the guys with a lot of positives and a lot of negatives. I've been trying to tell the forecast guys. I think these are the guys that probably screw up everybody's models, right? The model says one thing, and then you just never know what you're going to get from this guy, and then they – this is Jameis, this is Mariota – these guys that are highly volatile, Cam, might be something to it. Just like don't bet on right. plus, cluster well, three quarterbacks. I mean, the problem with them is they're completely unpredictable, right? Because Jared of that, Goff. because of that volatility, right? You don't know what the hell that's going to look like in any given week, and because quarterback is so important to the outcome of the game, it completely, it basically determines what's going to happen. If that guy shows up this week, they are completely different side to if he doesn't. Right, and then if it lands somewhere in the middle, it lands somewhere in the middle. But that that means that that team can land anywhere on the spectrum from extremely difficult to beat to you would barely have to trot out your backups to beat them, depending on how that quarterback shows up. The other QB that's playing like a cluster three volatile quarterback this year is Matt Ryan. He's tough to figure out. I mean, so we we've always viewed Matt Ryan as this top eight to ten quarterback, and then you you look at the dome conditions he's had all year. You look at these playmakers he's thrown to between Julio, Calvin Ridley, Muhammad Sanu, Austin Hooper. I mean, this should be an explosive offense. It should be an explosive offense. 
But I think their I think their offense is at this point where when Matt Ryan makes a great throw, it's dropped. When he has a guy open, he's missing it. Or when he has a guy open, there's pressure. I I don't even think there's great numbers for that other than man the whole thing just looks out of sync when that's happening yeah there's and, a- and ryan's got more we've mentioned more turnover worthy plays than he had the entire 2017 season he had a couple more i mean there there are misreads where there's just you know you're you're on the the post route and you're supposed to read the cover three safety when the cover three safety is just playing deep you're not supposed to throw the post yeah and matt ryan's just chucking it up this didn't get intercepted or anything it's just just a blatant misread falls incomplete kenny vaccaro should have just turned and picked it off, and he didn't. But there are plays like that on Matt Ryan's tape right now that are just weird. And then, of course, he's layering balls over linebackers and putting it on guys' hands and stuff like that. So he's just all over the place right now. Yeah, there's a few there's a few teams and players that are just wildly inconsistent right now. So where else are we going? Can we go to Baltimore? Yeah. Cleveland at Baltimore. Baker Mayfield sucks. Um, Freddie Kitchens is in over his head. The Browns... We're an off-season figment of everybody's imagination, and the fruits or the the seeds that were sowed have are being reaped, and it's not good. Did the narrative change? I think it did. Uh, Forty points for the Browns, twenty-five for the Ravens. A ton of yards. Um, ba- Baker making some plays. Everybody actually making some plays, and suddenly everything's changed. The Browns are first in the division, right? They sit atop. The well, AFC yeah. North, two if and you two. Technically, give them the tiebreaker, which we do. I mean, the NFL is going to. So as of now, it would feel right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think the narrative changes, right? This is so. There were legitimately people asking. There were people asking and people agreeing that this time a week ago, who would you rather have going forward, Baker Mayfield or Daniel Jones as your quarterback? And those were debates. More people. In the polls, we're saying Daniel Jones and Baker Mayfield. Now, is this an Evan Silva? Could well be, yeah. He he likes to do that all the time, and I think it's fascinating. But this is just, like, if you were one of those people, you should be ashamed of yourself. Because simple logic, this it's nothing but recency bias, right? We have an overwhelming amount of data that says that Baker Mayfield is a better quarterback than Daniel Jones. And we had basically one week that said the opposite. And people went with the one-week evidence. That's just ridiculous. So you fast forward a week. Baker Mayfield looks good again. Daniel Jones did not, even though they got a win. Um, now what do you think, right? This is why Evan likes to put the poll up. Every, he does the same guys every week. And he's done a lot of like Trubisky or Jimmy G. Right. And before the season, remember when Jimmy G had that like one for five preseason performance? Yeah, yeah. I think everybody was on Trubisky on that one. And then it flips after week two. I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's just insane how people are unable to think their way past the kind of basics of how this stuff works like the bottom line with pff is we try and take the totality of evidence that we have to hand right yep so for baker mayfield we have three seasons of college grading that says he's the best quarterback in his class and the best college prospect we've seen come along since we've been grading we have one season of good uh quarterback play from a rookie where he broke some records and wasn't in a great situation to begin with um, and then we have three games before this week where he was playing not so great, but playing better than I think the perception was because he was playing well in the first half and then really stinking it up in the second half. So essentially three weeks of bad play in the second half of games. And off the back of that, there were people willing to write him off. 
Yeah. That's ridiculous. That's utterly absurd. Now, at some point, you reach a point where, like, you go back far enough and it's not really relevant anymore. You know, like, people that still bring up, whatever, 2012 grades from somebody. So Aaron Rodgers, right? Aaron Rodgers back in 2011. It's like, okay, but that's a long time ago now. At some point, that's just no longer relevant to what this guy is. Right. The situation's different. Nobody that was around him then is now around. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's just not relevant. Doesn't have um, Mike McCarthy calling plays for him anymore. Right. Huge. But um, but when you're talking about young quarterbacks, this like all of that evidence is still relevant. So if you were <clears throat> if you were dismissing Baker Mayfield as overrated, overhyped, not that good to begin with, you know, a, a massively flawed quarterback prospect, and now we're seeing all those flaws, like that's silly. Now we talked that he may have been starting to head down the wrong pathway. But there was, I mean, he still. This wasn't a perfect game by any means, right? But the point is, he's still really talented, and he's not far along enough down the pathway to be able to, you know, reverse course and get back to the crossroads. And that may have been what we saw in this game. Yeah. So the thing about um, Baker that I think is a little bit different from college, he didn't have a ton of turnover-worthy plays in college, and he didn't have a ton of interceptions. But because he's had one of the highest big-time throw percentages since entering the NFL last year and this year. Because he's so willing, like we talked about Stafford, because he's so willing to make those tight window throws, they mentioned on the broadcast, loves to throw seam routes. Yeah, I mean, he, he throws the seam up and away from coverage and all that stuff as well as anybody. I think he's also, there were points in Carson Palmer's career where he would throw a pass and it would look like a bit of an unlucky interception because he'd have to throw it early and on the break and it looked like the receivers covered and Palmer just had so much trust in his receivers. We've seen a ton of those from Baker early in his career. Where he's had to, he's got to throw the ball early, on the break. Something doesn't go perfectly right at the break, and you end up with this contested situation that turns into an interception. So, my question with Baker here is: I wonder if that aggressiveness is going to lead to higher interception totals than we expected, and that's you know a little bit of what we've seen this year, or if that's just a a small anomaly so far. Yeah, I mean, I think it probably, I think overall his negatives will be magnified in the NFL because, you know, we talked about all the, all the things that people were using as sticks to beat him with as a college prospect. They weren't entirely invalid in terms of, you know, the Big 12 doesn't play defense in terms of that offensive system at Oklahoma is phenomenal um, across the board, making people wide open all the time, et cetera, et cetera. Now, we were able to sort of zero in on if you look at just tight window throws and all this kind of stuff. He's still really, really good, but the uh, increasing just the frequency that those situations exist makes things worse, right? Right. So if you just say, "All right," in college when he was forced with those, when he was presented with those tight window throws and rough situations, he was still extremely accurate, still did a lot of good. But what we don't know is what is the impact of going from a ratio of like ninety percent open stuff to ten percent tight window to a much more even split at the NFL level where right. a lot of things are tight window throws and you need to be doing that regularly. Just simply, when you change that balance, what does that do to his performance? So far, it's made it rougher, right? His yeah, it's going to skew it a, a right, His performance on those tight window things hasn't been nearly as good. But he's still playing, you know, he's still doing a lot of the good things. Um, and I don't think, I think there have been teething problems in terms of getting him on the same page with OBJ in terms of Freddie Kitchen's development as an offensive uh, play caller and all that kind of stuff. I think there are things that will get better from this group, 
So, but as much as things haven't been great um, and he's been making more mistakes so far, I don't think that's a permanent problem. The, the bigger concern and one that I think could lead to a long-term problem is the way he's been behaving in the pocket. That would be my biggest concern, not the one, not the decisions he's making or the throws he's forcing. Right. It's he needs to get more comfortable in the pocket and not become predictable and bounce and you know roll and just get into trouble. So on the other side, uh, Lamar had a pretty pretty good game overall, uh, throwing the ball. You know, it was it was a better bounce back from the Kansas City game. He had to force a couple late uh, while they were down. You know, had two interceptions. Um, but overall, Lamar was pretty good. I think the story defensively, though, for the Ravens, you know, they were a team. We came into the year, we said, look, they said they, they, they built a really nice secondary, a coverage unit, but they don't have guys that really get after the quarterback. Is this that game that exposed it a little bit? They only pressured Baker seven out of 32 dropbacks, and they gave up over 300 yards in unpressured pockets, had a couple coverage busts. There was a point where it looked like, hey, this Ravens defense might be pretty good a couple weeks ago, but are they even, are they really that good? Right. I think people just, they're one of those teams that as, as long as they're the Ravens, people are going to think that they're a good defense, even when they haven't had one. And I thought that they would have a good one this year, but we're four weeks in. Are they even that good defensively? I mean, I think they're good in areas. You know, they're, they've got some pretty impressive players. Um, they're doing some pretty impressive things down to down, but it's not, across the board and there's still some guys that aren't playing that well you know in totality like Earl Thomas made some even just yesterday made some pretty special plays in coverage didn't defend the run well hasn't been doing it entirely consistently Um, you know Marlon Humphrey has looked really good Uh, he was able to almost shut down Odell Beckham one-on-one for a lot of that game in addition to almost choking him out when they got into a scuffle (laughs) um, on the field but you're right, there's there's a kind of lack of legitimate, consistent pass rush. The other thing is, from this game, Nick Chubb is really good. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's tough to defend the run when you get Nick Chubb on the other side. Mm-hmm. 88, was it 88-yard 88 touchdown? He, I, I think people um, overlooked him a lot coming up to the draft because everyone kind of forgot about him when he got hurt. And it took him, he didn't look like the same guy the next year. And it wasn't until the year after that that we finally got to see real Nick Chubb. And at well, that point, everyone was losing their minds over the potential of Sony Michelle. The weird thing about Nick Chubb was his best year. He looked his best as a true freshman. Yeah. His true freshman year at Georgia, he was in the same backfield as Todd Gurley. And I'll never forget looking at him thinking, like, this is probably a, a speedier, more agile Maurice Jones Drew. He's that difficult to tackle. And he's just, and he's got moves in the open field. And he was doing it against like Clemson early in the year, like Clemson, you know, loaded team of defensive stars. Then he gets hurt his sophomore year, and it took him till his junior and senior. Like he right, st- showed ju- flashes. So junior year, year, he just wasn't the same guy. And senior year, he showed flashes of it. Right. He had four years, uh, it, it, he didn't look right. I think until his rookie season, he started to look like what he was as a freshman. I think senior year, we started to see the real guy again, but. At that point, everyone was looking at Sony Michelle and saying, "Well, this guy's really fast. He makes some big plays. Like he doesn't." So you're looking at Nick Chubb, and you're like, "Well, devastating knee injury. He's not that. You know, he's not really fast. He's a bigger guy." You're looking at Sony Michelle, and you're thinking, "This guy could be the next Alvin Cook. This is amazing. This is the guy we should be focusing on." Everyone will tell you about Nick Chubb because he was so high, but like, this is the guy. I think people just slept on him too much. If you actually watch what he was doing, particularly as a senior, you're like, "This guy is really good." Yeah. So he does add a dimension 
if they're gonna if they're gonna block it up, he can create some big plays. So you know it was funny when he took off and when whatever it was, eighty yards for a touchdown, he reached he achieved a higher speed according to next gen stats than Tyreek Hill achieved at any point last year. It's all dependent on did Tyreek have any plays where he was just straight line? Right. That's basically it. If you get eighty yards in a straight line, you're gonna be the, one of the fastest people in the NFL. Like Fournette because, had one of the fastest speeds a couple years ago because he had a ninety yard run. Right. And the fastest guy this year, I think, is Cordero Patterson, who, again, had a straight shot down the sideline for a decent period of time. Yeah, I could hit 22 miles an hour if you just give me 80 yards. You think? No. How 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 steep of a decline would that hill have to be? Uh, steep enough that I'd fall on my face. But it reached 22. You know, get the okay. long strides and you get, huh. get some gravity. Well, yeah, you, you need a lot of help. Get the math guys kind gravity. of calculating that. If I could normally run, say, 12 miles an hour, <laughs> how steep how does steep the decline does the hill have need to be? Add gravity you in. And, uh, What's your terminal velocity at that, uh, at that, spe- at that incline? It's still too slow. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the AFC East battle. New England Patriots beating the Buffalo Bills. We, we said... God, they might made hard work of this. Yeah, I mean, we, we mentioned how difficult... The Bills make life for the Patriots' passing offense. That was exactly what happened. I mean, they had – it looked like – you know, the Patriots who do a really good job of scheming it up and having this mix of, you know, some easy throws and some intermediate and downfield throws, it looked like they were playing against 15 defenders. Yeah. Like, because when you're used to seeing a Patriots' passing offense move the ball, or if they struggle a little bit, they're like, all right, we're going to make an adjustment. And fi- they, they didn't find anything in the passing game. And so the Bills – coverage has just been spectacular and then on the other side honestly josh allen's first half especially was one of the worst halves of football i've ever seen matt barkley didn't play well when he came in but he the bills probably would have won this game if he'd been starting from the outset just because he wouldn't have done as many really bad things as josh Allen. yeah allen had four turnover worthy plays i think in the first quarter alone fumbles when he had open throws he missed them um so we talked about Allen's volatility, and we gave him um, a little bit of credit coming into the game, saying, look, he's, he's completing a lot of passes. He's still putting the ball in harm's way too much, but he's completing a lot of passes. This was like the old Josh Allen who missed open throws and just forced stuff out of nowhere. Um, that's why he had the three picks, had the fumble. And so then he gets knocked out of the game because that hit, hit to the head by Jonathan Jones. Um, I don't think it was a, a good and legal hit, but we keep talking about quarterbacks taking care of themselves. That was a really bad hit. It was a bad hit. Also, but quarterbacks do have to take care of themselves better. That's why guys get hurt when they allow themselves to be exposed. He kind of like, like stood over him and like trash talked Jack Tatum style. You know, like oh, blasted him in the head and then was like standing over him, looking down as in like, you know, yeah, that's what you get. Felt kind of harsh. Yeah, that might be a little harsh. Um, so Allen, Allen's now 7 for 22 on deep passes this year. Feels worse than that. Three picks, though, to lead the NFL. We mentioned coming in, too, he was better at the intermediate level. His 20-plus yard grade is is not good. Didn't get any better there. So New England's defense continues to um, to suffocate, man. Yeah. That's what they do. Um. You know who was really good in this, or pretty good in this game, that is really taking steps in the right direction? Um, Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah, he was flying around. So he's got his hands on a pass, making really good plays in the run game. He's kind of fascinating to me, right? Because he was everybody's darling pre-draft because, you know, he's a physical freak. 6'5", 250 plus. Um, Was was he 
19 or 20 when they drafted him. Stupidly young. Right? 19, so yeah. 19. Yeah, one of the youngest players in the draft. And it's like, think of his potential. If he's already this good at 19, imagine how good he's going to be, right? right? And then that was con- compared and contrasted to Leighton Vanderesh, who was two years older. Um, but from a football experience point of view, it actually played significantly less time, right? So it was this fascinating concept of what is. Um, what gives you the development potential? Is it just age? Is it being younger? Or is it that you haven't actually, or is it inexperience that you haven't played that much? So Van Der Esch, two years early, uh, two years older, but had played vastly less football than Tremaine Edmonds. Um, and now you've got Van Der Esch obviously hits the ground running last year, still looks really good this year. Edmonds did not grade well at all last year, has taken a significant leap forward this year. Um, but like, You've got probably what two years, two years more development until he reaches the point where um, Van Der Esch was like as a rookie. There's and something to that. I don't know if he's going to get to that level even in two years. Like he might play out essentially almost an entire rookie contract before he's at the level where Van Der Esch is playing as a rookie. At which point is that a win? Doesn't feel like one. People assume it. No matter what, but now okay. At that point, he'll be two years younger, and you might have a you know longer career because of it. But it still feels like that's not a great investment at that point. But I, you have to love where impressed. he's getting to right now. The the Bills just they've ju- just done a really nice job of maximizing their personnel, playing just such fundamentally sound defense. I mean, I really think it's going to keep them in every game. Uh, back to the New England defense, real quick. Devin McCoy. The, some of the numbers are just hilarious. So Devin McCourty has four picks in four games. Yeah. And then if people were just looking at stats and saying, who are the defensive player of the year candidates? Jamie Collins now has four sacks at linebacker, four sacks and three picks. Now, two of the picks, I mean, they were like fair catches. It was just like late for the ball to come. That was yesterday's. Yeah. Right. But again, that like skews your brain and it's like, wow, this guy's got he's playmaker, three interceptions. He was in the right place at the right time. But just as and he's playing well, it's just a matter of like if you were just saying, look at this linebacker who's on pace for 16 sacks at a non-pass rushing position and on pace for like 12 interceptions. Well, that's going to be defensive player of the year candidate. But his teammate McCordy has four picks. I mean, they're just um, they're locked down on that back end right now. Yeah, this is this is a genuinely fascinating game because the Patriots, as I say, if almost anybody other than Josh Allen was playing quarterback for the Bills in this game. The, they probably would have won. That was the same thing on Monday Night Football last year. The Patriots won twenty-five to six. It was Derek Anderson playing quarterback, right? And he threw a pick six. I mean, the Patriots didn't move the ball efficiently then either. The Bills' defense did such a good job, um, really stymieing this Patriots' offense, and their offense just wasn't good enough to capitalize themselves. We talked about um, the way the Patriots and their tree likes to play creative with their extra defenders. The Bills did a lot of that too. There were so many, you know, Brady loves work in the middle of the field. There were so many plays where a defender's coming out of nowhere and just robbing the middle of the field. You didn't know where he was coming from. And, you know, it's like strategically really nice way to play that Patriots offense. Um, but New England moves to 4-0. and Buffalo's now 3-1. and But I think they're very much in the playoff hunt. Uh, yeah, I mean, they have to be, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they still have to play Miami twice. That'll so you help. just look at that and... Um, yeah, that's going to help. I don't want to say that they're for real necessarily, but this was this game went very different to how I think a lot of people were expecting it to, which is, you know, we got one 3-0 and team against another 3-0 and team, and they're not the same thing at all. 
and one's just going to steamroll through the other one. That's not how it went at all. The Bills gave a really good account of themselves and honestly could have won had their quarterback not been playing disastrously. All right, let's move on. Oakland Raiders at the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. This game went entirely differently to what I was expecting. So I picked the Colts to win, but when I saw the Raiders, you know, winning and and playing well, it didn't completely surprise me. I think this, I think the Raiders are going to be like Titans light this year. I think they're the team that, you know, cars, car keeps them in games. He's reasonable enough. And if he makes to me with car, we talked about how conservative he can be, but if he just makes a couple big throws here and there, makes a couple big plays, I mean, it really is a game changer for the Raiders. Plus, their defense had shown signs of life, right? They had those three quarters against the Chiefs where they played well, terrible second quarter. The defense just looks a little feistier this year. What I really didn't like was the matchup, though, in the run game where they looked so completely clueless against the Vikings going up against the Colts team that A, wanted to run the ball, B, wanted to do the same things, and C, had Marlon Mack, who isn't Dalvin Cook, but he's pretty good. Oh, he's been playing. He had been playing really well. Right. Up to so that now. just seemed like a horrible matchup on paper. Um, but obviously the Raiders fixed some things during the week. You know, they didn't have to. Uh, they had to, starting their monstrous road trip, apparently they had some time to get into the film and figure out what went wrong and shut it down this week. Um, I so think, I think the Raiders are going to be tough to predict. There's a lot of teams like that this year. Yeah. That's annoying. I don't like that. Yeah, and it's not just a home road thing. I mean, they they go on the road and uh, you know did a nice job controlling the line of scrimmage offensively and um, had a pick six. Look at that, the Raiders forcing a turnover. Right, where does uh, does that kill Jacoby Brissett's career all time interception rate? Is he no longer the best ever? Well, the thing about a pick six is it only counts as one pick. True. So, uh huh. Was he the best? Yeah, you were telling me that, right? Right. Let's find out. You keep talking, Steve. No, I got nothing else to talk about here. Oh, okay. Well, Derek Carr only under pressure on seven out of 32 dropbacks against the Colts. That was an issue. <laughs> um, I do think Brissett needed to come back down to earth statistically just a little bit. Still found a way to, th- to throw three touchdowns. But, um, Dude, Eric Ebron in this game good. as well was like shooting for the worst grade he could possibly get. The dude couldn't catch anything. Oh, this has taken an absolute sledgehammer to Jacoby Brissett's all-time interception rate. What is it now? Uh, I don't know. I can't even find him. They might not update it, though. Is he no longer a qualifier? Like, he had more attempts, but he doesn't qualify anymore? That's possible. Um, Yeah, why can't I find him? He should be a qualifier. Yeah, maybe it's not that important. So... um, (laughs) So the Raiders, at, what do you make of the Raiders here at this point? Or what do we make of the Colts at this point? I mean, they this this was a this is a huge loss. It is. For the this Colts. Is, so there are losses you can have where it's it's not so much that the loss itself puts you in a horrible spot. You know, you, like the division is still up for grabs. Nobody's distancing themselves. It's the South, right. How hard could it be? Exactly. Hashtag how hard could it be? So it's not like you're, you know, suddenly in a big hole. It's more that if you manage to lose against the Raiders in this kind of manner, it speaks more to what your level is, right? Mm-hmm. So it's less of an issue that you're, you're now in a deep hole that you need to claw your way out of. It's more that if you're capable of this kind of performance, you're probably not actually that good. The other thing I think to mention about the Colts, they've, they lost. Here's their four weeks. Lose by six, win by two, win by three, lose by seven. They have been in pretty close games, and yesterday got away from them a little bit until the end, but... They have been in close games pretty much every single week. And I think that's what their roster dictates, right? When you have a Jacoby Brissett 
heading up a pretty decent roster. Not great, a decent roster, good roster. I think they're just going to be in close games, and it's going to be coin flips, um, a lot like the Titans. So are we looking at a couple 9-7 and seven teams? Uh, probably. Jacoby Brissett's all-time interception rate is now 1.4%, which is the same as Aaron Rodgers as the best ever. I don't know which guy, like where the decimal points fall, uh, but he's essentially there or thereabouts still. There you go, Jacoby. Hang tough <laughs> in the interception battle. Nice, nice game by the Raiders. Yeah. Los Angeles Chargers at the Dolphins. Yeah. This this for a while. Dolphins are hanging tough, man. Right, except they appear, well, they are completely unable at the moment to score points in the second half. They yeah. have yet to score in the second half this season. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah, I still think the Dolphins' offense is far worse than their defense. And their defense just continues to get put in difficult spots. And, yes, they're getting torched in the passing game. But if I had to predict what's going to happen with Miami, I think the – I think the defense will start to come together. There'll be some games down the stretch where it's like, oh, look, they held the team to 24. Yeah. Am I going on a limb there? They held the team to 21, but the offense just inept. Another subpar game for Josh Rosen behind a bad offensive line with bad receivers and just it's all bad. Yeah, it really is. Like Everything around him is bad. Um, I think Kenyon Drake isn't. I guess Kenyon Drake isn't bad, but he's in the same spot in terms of being everything else around you is bad, so you have no shot at doing anything. Like Josh Rosen made some throws, but you, you can't. You just can't survive behind that. Like you've got Jamarcus Webb as your left tackle. That's actually happening right now, in 2019. Like that was an experiment that failed years ago for other people multiple <laughs> right. times, and the Dolphins are so screwed that that's now their plan. Um, Dolphins stopped the run well, though. They are slowly getting to the point where like Kalen Balaj is playing himself completely out of any form of snaps. Like and they still give him eight snaps and he drops the ball in the middle of those eight snaps. Like he is playing worse than I've ever seen a running back play. Like to the point where if it's any other team, that guy would be cut weeks ago. Um, and somehow he's still trucking along for the Dolphins and actually getting snaps for them on offense. Um, their offensive situation is just horrendous. And yeah, the defense is better by default, but it's not good. Yeah. So. Chargers win. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dolphins analysis is tough every week. What I didn't understand was, so obviously we got caught up in the hole, is Melvin Gordon going to play or not last week? And even though they had, um, you know, running back in a walking boot, it was like, no, he's only going to be available for emergency situations. Because they're like, at Miami. Why? I mean, he's either capable of playing or he isn't. What is this? Because it's at Miami. He's back, but only if we need an emergency running back. What the, what the hell is that? So you don't want him getting hurt at Miami. Give him another week to get his legs under him. Well, then don't activate him. Like, Because it's an emer- if it's an emergency, they would... This, I just... This look, feels pretty He's clear a running me. back. Anybody that carries the ball is vulnerable to getting an injury at any given point. But <sighs> instead, they... Like Austin Eckler, again, <laughs> completely just taking a hatchet week by week to Melvin uh, Melvin's leverage. Um, again, graded really well. Looked entirely comfortable being an every down back um they even got uh they even got tremaine troy main troy main that's really a name it's not tremaine it's troy main pronounce it tremaine you can pronounce it tremaine i mean i would i just make up pronunciations you do i I mean i would want to do that because troy main sounds silly um are you done talking about the chargers running backs 
Well, Ryan. I'm just saying they got this guy 28 snaps, and he actually played okay as well. I'm on to Washington. New week York. by week, Melvin's Melvin's leverage is just. He's going to be out oof. there next week getting and 18 smoke. carries for my fantasy team, 97 yards and two touchies. Here's two touchies. Touchy, touchy. Did you just say that? Look. Wow. It came out wrong. It really did. God. Let's move on. Coffee's um, wearing off. His, so the, Stop the thing, talking about the Chargers. I just want to say the Chargers did it the right way, right? This was a blueprint of what Dallas should have done. Dallas should have done exactly the same thing. Uh, Tony Pollard would be like the league-leading rusher right now, and you'd be mm-hmm. and Zeke would be begging to come back from Cabo. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's Instead of having handed him $90 million to do it. Agree there. Washington Redskins at the New York Giants. It turned into a battle of first-round picks, Daniel Jones and Dwayne Haskins. Neither yeah. quarterback played very well. Keenum played poorly. They replaced him with Dwayne Haskins, who kind of looked like a rookie. Went 0 for 4 with two picks under well, pressure. So the entire narrative had been for like a week and a half, why are you not playing Dwayne Haskins? The case Keenum is terrible. What are you waiting for? Put in the rookie. Apparently there was a reason they hadn't been playing him so far, and it was because he was prone to you know making some pretty terrible decisions. Yeah. Can we talk about Daniel Jones? Absolutely. Daniel Jones did not play that well. In fact, he played kind of bad. Um, and a couple of interceptions, a bunch of missed throws. And dropped interceptions. There were more yeah. that could have been picked off that weren't. Two of them looked like the same play. Like, they, they showed the second one. It's like, hang on, was that... Did, that was... Are they replaying the it first was, interception? Yeah, yeah. Quinn and it Dunbar, was, right? It was only when Dunbar got up and started running the other way that he ran the first time. Like, no, no, that's a second play. No, that's different. It's literally yeah. the exact same play that you threw. Um, we had three turnover-worthy plays for Jones. Uh, no big-time throws in this one. And I'm, I'm not even looking to, like, dance in the guy's grave or anything. I'm not writing him off. I'm just saying that anyone that was crowning him last week is an idiot because this can happen, right? You don't know anything after one week of play. Guys need more than one week to determine anything. So the article I wrote last, year, last week was that there are signs of hope. Yes. But his play will lead to some volatility. And even in this game, he had some big, you know, he had some yeah, nice plays. Like a 59 passing grade. He is uh, number three in QBR, though, through <laughs> two weeks. So don't worry. Those interceptions don't matter in QBR. His, he does do some nice, he continues to do really nice things with his legs, pick up first downs. And I still think the he's the new poster boy for Sneaky Athletic. No, he's actually athletic. Though. Yeah, but he's 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 tall, goofy, and white, so he can't be actually yes. athletic. He's he's sneaky athletic. Everybody's making fun of his uh, pregame getup. He just looked, you know, thought it was nice. Yeah, well, khakis and a collared shirt looked fine. Huh? But okay. People, people were making fun of him. It's like so. And then people were defending him. I heard but, somebody make the suggestion that the way to survive in New York's media market is to basically turn yourself into that goofy Manning character. Aw shucks. Right. So you you know, you dress up in the khakis and the, the button down. You basically make yourself as hum- as goofy as humanly possible. You think that you think that's right out of Eli's playbook? Yes. Like this is Daniel. This is not You're gonna buy one suit. You're gonna wear the suit once a year. Right. All you're wearing is a button down and khakis. You're gonna look like some preppy guy pulled right out of a, you know, a prep school academy. And you're just going to act like you don't understand anything that's going on. And that's how we're going to get through this. That way, nobody will rip you to pieces and you just survive. You fly under the radar the whole way. If you try and, you know, deal with the media head on, they're going to eat you alive. There's no hope. You can't, you can't win that way. What you've got to do is run the Eli playbook. And nobody better to learn from than Eli. He hasn't had to deal with, like, any criticism in, like, 12 years. 
Jones. despite five years of very criticism-worthy play. Jones has done it well. Um, so he picked up three – he had three carries for 35 yards as a scrambler. I think the difference – I think he's going to have a lot of games that are like Eli's. I think he'll have a lot of peaks and valleys. The slight difference is if you could pick up a few extra first downs with your legs like he has, just adds a little bit to the offense. You ready for um, what Daniel Jones and Dwayne Haskins have? So Haskins next week has to play New England. Uh, that's not going to go well. Assuming he's starting. They want to watch the film first. And honestly, I don't know that I would start him given that. So, so the Redskins are playing the Patriots. Daniel Jones has to go to New England in two weeks on a short week, Thursday night football in New England. Yeah. I mean, those so, are both going to be rough outings. So both both rookies <laughs> potentially this, have a rough one coming up. The Washington offense was so bad that it made the Giants defense look good. And the Giants defense is almost as bad as Miami's. Though yeah. I only just discovered that David Mayo is playing for them. Oh, there you go. Graded well. That's how bad, <laughs> that's how bad Washington's <laughs> offense was. Uh, but do you like a bit of David Mayo? One of your binkies. Yeah. Carolina Panthers defeat the Houston Texans 16-10. to Kyle Allen moves to 2-0 and this year as a starter. You can't stop him. Cannot stop him. Did you see what he did to J.J. Watt? What he did to J.J. Watt? Yeah. On which play? On the play that he did the thing to J.J. Watt. Oh, no, I didn't see that part. He, like, he like legitimately matadored him. Watt comes steaming through the middle of the offensive line. Well, Watt got him earlier with the right. strip sack. Kyle Allen goes to sort of, you know, the old, like, oh, no, giant guy, <gasps> like, cower, right? Yeah. Only the way he sort of spun to cower down, he, he, like, spun 360 and Watt just, like, fell off him. And then he maneuvers around, hits a pass, first down or something. Just... It was a great play. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, Allen did not play as well as he did the previous week, though. Shocker. The uh, pocket presence was not nearly as good. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, though, continues to be awesome. Yes. Continues to ball out. Even, like, down the stretch there, he's got a little short crossing route that Allen pretty much missed, and he just reaches out. Juggling catch, yeah. like, three times, and then turns s- it into a first skids down. Skids over the first down yeah. mark. I like, mean, even just little plays like that. Literally, Superman catches it and then skids face first across the first down marker for the uh, for the conversion. Did you see he's got the mo? He's tied for the <laughs> NFL record for most 10, 10 catch games for a running back. I didn't, but in it doesn't career, shock me. In his career, right? We're in year three. Yeah. So he caught all ten of his targets for eighty six yards. The thing we said about McCaffrey coming out is, if he was a slot receiver, he's a first or second round prospect. Did we say I that? Said, I said that. I, I said if he was a slot receiver, if he was just a receiver, he's probably a second-round guy. Yeah. I mean, I said he's equally capable of being a slot receiver as he is playing running back. Granted, I said the same thing about Reggie Bush, and I didn't. that didn't happen until like five years into his career. Well, Reggie Bush, I think, should have just been a slot receiver. Yeah, he was a— Like, I don't think he was, he was a guy a that could play runner. equally well at either. I think he was a slot receiver that never realized it and spent his entire career yeah. trying to convince people that he was Barry Sanders, and it just didn't work. Whereas Christian McCaffrey, I think, is a legitimate talent at both running back and slot receiver. Right. Kind of like, I, this might not be true because he didn't really get a fair shake at slot receiver, but you remember the way Danny Woodhead was kind of both for yeah, a while? Yeah. I think he probably could have been a good slot receiver and a good running back, but he ended up just being made into a running back. Right. Woodhead was, was a pretty good runner, though. He knew how to burrow in right. there. Right, so was McCaffrey. Four or five yards. Yeah, not bad. Um, Deshaun Watson, one of his worst games of his career, uh, did you see that post-game interview with Watson? Uh, not really. I saw like a little clip of it. And I didn't really watch it. So everybody. So essentially what happened was everybody 
a lot of people were saying he dunked on the reporter. I thought that, so. The reporter asked a question: "What did right. you say about you know talk about their coverage that they played at the end?" And Watson was like, "What do you mean? Like the, the, the reporter was trying to say, why didn't you take more deep shots?" Sure. Watson did just a beautiful job explaining all of their coverages. Hey, they were in quarters. They funnel it this way. They keep everything in front. Keekley patrols the middle. He did a really good job of just explaining what Carolina does on defense yeah. in general even if it was just for a few specific plays. And then, you know, he took this shot because of this, took this shot because of that. Then they played cover two, and he did a really nice job with all that. But it does kind of sum up the way we talked about Carolina's defense a little bit on the preview show. They are just playing uh, some some solid overall football. I think they're a lot like the Bills and how they play. Just kind of like make you earn. Just make you earn the downfield stuff. Yeah. And that's what I think... um, we're seeing in this one. So we talked before the game about sort of two up and coming ascending units, the Packers or the the Packers, the Panthers pass rush going up against the Houston offensive line, which one would continue to be ascending by the end of the game. And I think the answer would be Carolina's pass rush. It may not have been great in this game, but it's certainly better than Houston's pass protection. Right. um, Which is part of the reason it was a relatively low scoring affair. Another game. So Watson comes out of this without horrible stats three turnover worthy plays some of them right and at least one of those plays was horrendous yeah so this is the second straight week i think he's had he's had um i think he's had five turnover worthy plays the last two weeks and i don't think any of them one of them was an actual turnover i think yeah it's really hard so some of these guys that are capable that they live unconventionally right you know the the dictionary definition of what every NFL coach wants a quarterback to do is be like Peyton Manning, right? I live inside the pocket. This is how I process everything. Don't have to worry about me doing anything that isn't by the book. And coaches love that stuff, right? Right. Then you get various different scales of guys that deviate from the book. It's like, look, I'm throwing away the instructions. I'm going to ad-lib this. and We're going to see how it goes. And, you know, you, there's a whole wide area of how that can go. Somewhere at the top end is Patrick Mahomes, is Russell Wilson. But then there's the middle ground, right, which is these guys are making are capable of making spectacular plays. But in order to do that, you're going to have to live with the fact that sometimes it goes badly wrong and I don't, they either misread something or they don't have the physical capability of executing the play their brain thinks they can make. Yeah. And, you know, they just throw the ball and th- – the physics doesn't operate the same way, right? You didn't calculate the amount of time that's going to give this guy to come over and make a play on it and all that kind of stuff. And Watson seems to be one of those players where most of the time it works out, but when it goes wrong, it looks ridiculous. It's like, yeah. what were you even thinking on this play? But it's difficult to say, What's the, stop doing that. The because, balance is tough, man. Right. Because It's like the Brett Favre thing, right? Right. He, he was really the first guy to spend his entire career doing that. And the basically everybody came to the same conclusion, which is, you kind of have to eat the bad plays because overall it works out, right? The good ones more than offset the bad ones, and you can't get rid of the bad ones without completely eliminating all the good ones. So you just have to say, yeah, you know, all right, fine. There's a lot Try of, not to do that again. But, there's a you know. lot of quarterbacks like this right now. And with Watson, so the thing about Mahomes, right, the reason why he's breaking the league statistically is because he also has a play caller that's creating the easy stuff. Right. And – if Watson has, if Watson can take the easy, I'm not saying he doesn't have any opportunities. If Watson can learn how to take the easy stuff and stop taking sacks, right? Take the easy stuff and make the spectacular plays. That's the the perfect happy medium, right? So Mahomes has that. Watson either doesn't have it or he's just not 
at that level to take it just yet, to take the easy stuff and to hit it and just continually make pretty good reads. Right, for but the, the most other part, thing, but then have the spectacular plays outside of structure. The other thing about it is he's not Patrick Mahomes isn't really making the bad ones, right? Is the crazy thing about him is like his we did a whole video on it. Is his, his turnover worthy plays have been like you know bad fumbles. He's every time he does something crazy and makes one of these absurd like across the body into double coverage plays, it works out. Oh, yeah. those are not bad being decisions. punished by them yet. Those are not bad decisions. I've said this since I first saw him do this. Right, throwing across your body is not a bad decision for him, unless it's a bad decision. I mean, that's I mean, that's well, that's like you can't you the can't reason win if you're trying to lose the reason though. <laughs> The reason those throws are bad decisions for most quarterbacks is because most quarterbacks do not – they misjudge the arm required to make that throw. That's why I'm saying it's not a bad – For him. Because right. he knows he's making calculated decisions that are right. Right. Throwing so for, across his body, he's like, I know my arm. I know my receiver. I know where he is, and I'm going to right. throw it to but him. And di- if you throw it to him, it's a good decision. Yes, but the difference between him – I mean, even – so there's – before him, I don't know there's ever been a quarterback that's had the arm to consistently make those throws. Brett Favre always thought he could, but they would get him into trouble. And most of Brett Favre's ridiculous, hideous plays came on that type of throw where you're like, why did you? Now, again, he made a bunch of them as well. But the point is, those were the bad ones, right? It's just you don't right. have you haven't 100 percent dialed in on exactly what your limitations are. Um, and that's causing problems. Mahomes seems to have a 100% read on what he's actually capable of doing. So every one of these, he's not being punished by these throws the same way every other quarterback that's ever had a penchant for attempting them has been. Um, and that's, that's the difference between these guys. I had something else I was going to say. Yeah? And I lost it. Was it good? Probably. Oh, okay. Well, that's unfortunate. Oh, here, the other thing that Mahomes has is spatial awareness. When you're like when Brett Favre was making a crossbody throw, every now and again he would forget that there was a linebacker there. Mahomes seems he knows where the defense is. Yeah, he had a, so he had a play. Mahomes just to go back to him real quick. He had a play yesterday, right, where he did the whole no look thing. Jared Davis wasn't really in the passing lane, but he was almost in the passing lane. But because Mahomes is manipulating guys with his eyes, it's awesome. It, he looked like a soccer goalie guessing on a goal kick, goal kick, what penalty, penalty kick. Listen, I'm just I'm saying some wrong stuff today, hmm. but we're live. We can't fix it. Okay. I'm just going to roll with it. Goalie on a penalty kick. Mahomes is throwing the crosser behind him, and Jared Davis runs this way. The pass is going this yeah. way. It's fascinating. But Mahomes has some of that spatial awareness, knowing where guys are, and it's, all, it's like they're all calculated decisions. Anyway, I think Watson needs some help, and look at that NFC South. It's all wide open. Yeah. Panthers up to two and two. Mostly thanks to that defense. Do we but stay in the in the AFC South? Minshew, Minshew mania. AFC South. Oh yeah, Jaguars. That's what I said, right? Yeah, you did. Oh, but we were also in the NFC South, and I was like, oh, do we go to the Bucks? Yeah, no. All right, AFC South. Yeah, Jaguars beat the Broncos. Joe Flacco makes a really nice comeback, but not as good as Gardner Minshew's. You you can't you can't stop the Minshew. Minshew mania is alive and real. Um, they also desperately tried to ride Leonard Fournette through this game he also broke a couple of tackles now this was the best he's run what was really unfortunate is that it was will parks that he seemed to be able to break tackle every time why Uh, is your analysis based around like the six players that you really like that's all i'm really interested in 
Uh, Leonard Fournette made a couple of big runs, and just Will Park couldn't take him down for some reason, so he rumbled on for eternity. I think this was the closest thing to LSU Fournette. Yeah, that I mean, we've well, seen. this was this is what LSU Fournette looked like, right? Which is you get him, you get him basically into space, you get him one on one with a guy, he'll run him over and continue rumbling, right? In the NFL, it doesn't happen. Yeah, because he didn't people can tackle run him. guys over for a while. Now, apparently, Will Parks is the exception to that rule, where every time he hit Will Parks, Will Parks bounced to the floor and he kept on rumbling. Um, the other thing to come out of this game is Cam Robinson very almost cost him the game. A, through terrible play. B, through penalties. And then C, trying to fight the Denver uh, defense when they had, they made the play. Like, st- what are you doing? You're about to win the game through a kick, and you're trying to get yourself a 15-yard penalty for fighting the defense. Like, his whole team was, like, holding him back, saying, get out of here, you moron. That's yeah, not smart. After the kick... Leonard Fournette and Robinson had to be separated because Fournette was still trying to explain to him why he was an idiot. Um, that was amazing. Like, literally your entire team is trying to pull you away from this because all that can happen is you cough up a 15-yard penalty and we lose the game. Yeah, right. Um, and that's in addition to the playing badly thing that it almost cost him the game to begin with. So anyway, Minshew. I yeah. mean, he's, he's making... You know, what looked like a bottom five receiving core, DJ Chark, D.D. Westbrook. He's making those guys look pretty good. His One of his touchdowns is pretty special, like oh. dancing around the pocket and then delivers a pass. Uh, somebody put, speaking of Brett Favre, did you see somebody show an old Favre? Yeah. Touchdown that was almost exactly right. like that. Man, Minshew has, he's got the it factor, the moxie, like he's got it all. The mustache. So we, well, we joke about Minshew. Oh, sell t-shirts. I, my t-shirt hasn't arrived yet. Go it's get coming. a go get a Minshew t-shirt. Also, we have stickers awesome. now. Did you know that? We yes. have like a full Minshew that you can stick on the front of your laptop. We talked about it on the podcast. Well, okay. Whatever. So yeah, I do know. I was on the podcast. Yeah, we get stickers. Minshew. Um, but no, listen. He just has... He's got some feel in the pocket when he needs it. He's not perfect, but man, he's, he's throwing the ball down right. the field I mean, still pretty consistently. He just You wouldn't expect him to be perfect, right? He's yeah. a rookie... He's a six-rounder. He's got some limitations, so of course he's not going to be phenomenal, but he's playing well. This is going to really bring up the question about him and Nick Foles. That's what I was saying, right? If he but plays this like, is like this. really bringing up the question now. If he plays like this the whole way through, what happens? Because you can't be confident that Nick Foles is amazing. Like if, 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 Minshew plays to, if, if he plays at this exact level for the remaining time that Nick Foles is out, that is a really hard question. And I suspect the answer to that is we basically say Nick Foles isn't quite ready every week until Minshew lays an egg. Here's an interesting one. And that gives you an excuse to put him back in. Okay, so who might want Nick Foles? Who would want Nick Foles this year? This year. And who would want Nick Foles after this year? After this year, the Minnesota Vikings. What about the Colts? Even though they locked up Jacoby Brissett for two years, Frank Reich's there. No. No? No. So you think the Vikings... You think Nick Foles is an upgrade over Kirk Cousins? No. I just think that at this after this year, Cousins will have played himself out of Minnesota, and you're back to I have no quarterback. So you take a shot at Nick Foles. We'll talk about Cousins in a minute, but Kirk Cousins outplayed. He, uh, he forced Nick Foles to transfer from Michigan State. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's a great plan. I'm just saying that after you've blown this one, it's, it's a shot. Like, they're not going to go for a rookie, right? For like a... High, they're not going to go for a first-round rookie because, again, they'll be in permanent we-think-we-can-contend mode. We just here's, need a quarterback. Here's the play if you're Jacksonville, okay? We, we get 
we get some pushback from people when we say, hey, the Raiders should look on from Derek, move on from Derek Carr or look elsewhere. We pretty, we've pretty much said every team should look elsewhere as far as quarterbacks go, right? Okay. Except like the Chiefs. Yeah. I think the play for the Jags is try to get something for Foles, run with Minshew, and then still look for the next quarterback. You got to hedge a little bit just in case Minshew's not the guy. But we always talk about the value of that first contract quarterback. Minshew's okay. You got a first. You have a sixth round first contract quarterback. You might be able to build a juggernaut around him. But I think you hedge a little bit by going to get the next quarterback as well, and you know try to stumble into someone else because there's because think about what what could they trade Minshew for on the open market? How long has a situation ever lasted where a young, cheap, you know, rookie quarterback has taken over? And the hype eight veteran has been stuck around for a while. And Drew Bledsoe just lasted the rest of the year. Right. Then bounced. There's not a whole lot of that. Right. Because theoretically, their best possible scenario might be, well, okay, we still keep the same two QB room. We just flip the order. Minshew's now the starter. I don't think anybody would. paid nothing. Nobody would just. If you look at, hey, we're paying two quarterbacks X. Right. And it's not that crazy. But I don't think anybody would justify paying that much money to Nick Foles as a backup. I don't know. Even I though think, he's the, not the best backup I think you work the on the basis that the starter is getting paid nothing, so it's fine, right? The problem, I, I think the problem in that scenario is does Fall, there's no way Foles accepts that, right? He's like, trade me. I can get a, I can get a starting gig somewhere else. Maybe. Like, I don't think he – I think that would be the issue. I think you could justify paying him because he's not getting paid that much. It's just, you know. Here's, but Minshew's getting paid nothing. The other alternative is what if – what if Minshew's just playing so far above his skis right now? Could could you, in your right mind, trade him? Could you get a first rounder for him? Could is is his stock so high, you a could get a first rounder for Minshew? Could no, you? no, because most teams are not as dumb as all the fans that I was shouting at earlier for working on one week's worth of evidence. And okay, it's more than one week, but it's not enough to throw to convert six know, rounder seen, to first rounder. We've seen crazier things around the NFL. Like the Dolphins, all their all their first rounders. The Dolphins need to throw darts at a franchise at fi- figuring out a franchise. But they're not looking to throw darts. They're looking to. I think I have the sure thing and the number one overall pick in the draft. It's not, but that's the way they're thinking. They will think that throwing, having your pick of the best quarterback in a given year is a better shot than sending that first round pick to a guy that everyone thought sucked a few months ago, but has now had three or yeah. four good games and we think is the real deal. So if if you could take a mo- if you're the Jaguars and you could take emotion out of it and you simply looked at it through this lens. We drafted a 6th round player. Mm-hmm. And eventually and, and he played really well. And we flipped him for a first or second rounder the next year. Even though there's a chance he could have been the guy we were looking for all along. Could you take emotion out of it and maybe say that the value taking a 6th rounder and flipping him for a first if you if you just did that more often than like over time, that's good things are going to happen if you do that. Sure, but I'll, I mean, or do you, you still, just roll with Minshew? Yeah, you still need the quarterback. I think that's the bigger problem. Um, the thing, anyway, that, the thing with that is that they're looking good. They are. Jacks. NFL teams are too wedded to their pre-draft opinions on people. Like you see that people get signed, street free agents get signed all the time because 
back eight years ago when they were being scouted, the coach that's now with this team really liked that guy. So, I think so that's we, we're going to bring him in. We're going to see what he can do. The point is, if you're still if you're willing to make that decision eight years later on a guy that has proven to be bad, you're not going to say, "Well, I thought this guy sucked four months ago, but four games says otherwise." So let's that's, bring him in for a first. That's working the other way, though. That's usually I liked a guy who had first-round ability, which probably was first-round ability, and you're like, hey, new situation, new scheme, we well, can was mold it, it. Or did you just screw up your evaluation? Possibly. But that's different from, like, I hated a guy, and now there's this new proof that he's awesome. So, Well, know. it's different slightly, but it's the same theory in that you're not going to go, well, I was wrong, clearly. I posed this question on Twitter. Emmanuel Sanders is still awesome. I think given the fact that Denver's 0-4, you have guys like Cortland Sutton emerging, you Deshaun Hamilton I think Emmanuel Sanders could be a very hot commodity at the trading deadline for contenders. Green Bay Packers, the Patriots, if they had cap space. He would be a really nice fit for the Packers. Like um, by the way, New England pursued him a couple years ago in restricted free agency. Green Bay, especially if uh, Devontae Adams misses any time, Sanders would be a nice fit there. Um, Seattle, potentially. I mean, there's a few of these contending teams that just don't have the uh, the best wide receiver rooms. Right I really now like the Green Bay idea. That, that I, you know, Devontae Adams is great. They just haven't been able to nail down a number two beyond him. Yeah. Sanders can definitely be that. I would, I would just keep an eye on that. How about that craziness in Los Angeles yesterday? Yeah. We talk. We use the term volatility a lot. I mean, this was this was it, man. This was your uh, Bruce Arians offense. Your Todd Bowles defense that's gonna might give it up a little bit, might have a pick six. You know, I mean, it's just gonna it's just gonna be madness all over the place. But as long as Jameis can keep chucking it downfield, Tampa Bay's got a shot. Chris Godwin dominates again, twelve catches, one seventy two, and two scores. Yeah. So the Rams' offense is starting to look capped by the performance of their offensive line. Um past couple of years obviously that took huge steps forward it went from being one of the worst in the nfl to being one of the best in the nfl particularly in the run game now it sucks again um whitworth played okay yesterday everybody else played badly um havenstein bad austin Blythe victimized um, brian allen joe no boom bad they can't win a super bowl with a lion playing the way it currently is it's just it's not good enough like there you know we all of these, nothing works in isolation, right? Everything influences something else. And, you know, as much as we talk about quarterbacks influencing their uh, pressure rate and all this kind of stuff, at some point, a unit can be bad enough that it stops everything else performing oh, yeah, as high as sure. it needs to. And the offensive line for the Rams right now is playing at that kind of level where they, they're still really good overall and they will beat a lot of teams because of that, but they can't win against the best teams with this line playing this badly. And then Jared Goff, you know, we I think we looked it up a couple of years ago. Who had the worst like 400 yard games? Like there was a Ben Roethlisberger game where he graded like in the 40s, I think, throwing for 400. Yeah, because a lot of times it's like catch up mode, and you turned it over a ton. Goff had four turnover worthy plays, a grade in the 50s, passing grade, and threw for 500 yards. He and he he could have thrown for 650 with some of the throws he missed. He had open throws he was missing for you know, downfield shots. You want to know what was kind of incredible in this game? The Bucks dialed up the blitz 32 times. Man. 
Um, just got after it. And it was working. Todd Gurley had a horrendous gra- grade based almost entirely off his pass blocking. Yeah. Because he gave up like five to- five pressures um, in a snaps pass blocking. Just got run over a bunch of times. But that's because they were scheming up blitz plays that were <laughs> that were working. Yeah, they pressured. They actually got to Goff on 32 of his 70 dropbacks. 32. Did he set an NFL record or he tied the NFL record for completions with 45, I think? Drew Bledsoe, speaking second right. time we've mentioned Bledsoe on this podcast. So um, as much as we say, hey, pass the ball, I don't think this is the uh, the game plan the Rams. They, I don't think they want to drop back 70 times. No, nobody does. This. I mean, that bad things are usually happening if you have to drop back 70 times. Uh, but everything was kind of going wrong. I, I don't – it's tough to – it's tough to be an analyst when it's just like Goff and Matt Ryan, and it's just like uh, the analysis is they're just inconsistent right now. Yeah. And with Goff, it's like more expected. We we throw him in that middle tier of quarterback. With Matt Ryan, it's like, hey, this, you're playing below your standard. But Goff is, you know, he's making a lot of good throws. He's making a lot of bad throws. Like, that's the analysis. The Bucks defense was kind of interesting because we were a week from re- removed from asking, is Ndamukong Soup done? But suggested that revenge game Sue fumble six right might roll back fumble six six total pressures ish um guy was basically back to being what you expect from Sue Vita Vea continues to look really good um Shaquille Barrett is like the best pass rusher in the NFL right now yes. through four games uh got another sack but also had six more hurries like it's not like the sack was so before he kind of got a ton of sacks and they were a little bit skewing perception I don't think he played as well as the sacks would suggest, but he now has nine sacks through four games, which is there's like four people in Ridiculous. NFL history that have done that. Gastineau, uh, Gastineau, who are the other two? Gastineau, some other Hall of Famer, um, Kabir Bajabiamila, and Shaquille Barrett are the only people to have achieved that. Good job. Um, You're a historian. Well, yeah, plus the graphic went up on a TV show yesterday, so I kind of half remembered it because I can't remember who the second guy was. But, yeah, he's playing ridiculously well um how about the the bucks are a chip shot field goal away from being three and one yeah and the rams are three and one were they fool's gold we talked about them you know just kind of trudging through the first few weeks so i don't think they're fool's gold in as much as i think they're still a good team but as i said that offensive line has become a the problem that they need to fix if they actually intend to win a super bowl it's kind of you know it's like the vikings from a couple of years ago they were good but their offensive line was so bad that you could see the loss coming. Right. And that's the same as this team, right? They, they're they good. The offense will still put up points. The defense can still make plays. But if that offensive line doesn't get fixed, the loss is coming. Like, whether it's in the NFC Championship game or whether it comes in the Super Bowl, they're not beating every single one of those teams unless that line gets better. The first 55-40 to 40 score in NFL history. Speaking of historians, let me fix your... Uh... You're a mess over there. Thank Pulling you. a Steve here. Yeah. Pulling a China shot. We need to like, uh, we need to like tape that down or something. Anyway, let's Can you move fix on. that? You, you, you're the office Guys, repairman. Somebody, I, I am. Listen, I broke the coffee machine upstairs this morning. Yeah. It was bad. There's yeah. coffee everywhere. Got, uh-huh. And we got plugs back there. It was bad. Right. That, that appeared to be the funniest we part. We taped that, that up on yeah, the wall. Yeah. You were causing giant. Oh, it was Rick that told you. Rick came down to get the tape. <laughs> Giant water spill messes next to the electrical equipment. Rick ratted me. Look, I tried to tried to do all the IT guys a solid, and I you know, get in early on Mondays so I could do some extra work and all that stuff. And we got double coffee pots up there. I was trying to get two pots 
brewed yeah. by the time anyone else and got instead into you it. almost electrocuted yourself. I got one pot done, the second pot um, halfway through, and there was just grinds everywhere, and there it was just there was an issue with the coffee pot. Apparently, yeah, it's a complicated. Dutch You've machine. caused quite the problems in the kitchens of... This was coincidental. This was... Uh, You've almost set fire to both of them, and now you, you almost shorted out the electrics of the building. That's that's quite a run. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe you shouldn't do things I like that. I have no rebuttal. No. Bad um, stuff happens when I use things. Yeah. Seahawks beats the Arizona Cardinals 27-10. to 10. Arizona's offense still just looks meh. Meh. Uh, does it even look meh? Meh. Um, so Larry Fitzgerald just passed Tony Gonzalez for second all time in receptions. And That's as much as it looks going after. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As much as it looked like all of Jerry Rice's numbers kind of look like nobody's ever getting near them. But Fitzgerald is only like 200 odd catches behind him, which in today's NFL, all right, like it's two full solid seasons, but like, I mean, you know, he could do that maybe do you in think an air Fitz, raid system. Do you think Fitz is uh trade worthy? Trade worth? Do you no, think he has anything in Arizona to offer? I, probably, but he's not. Like he's never going anywhere. He's playing there until he stops. But the point is, my point being, he could potentially play for two more years and catch two hundred passes, and actually maybe pass Jerry Rice. Two hundred? That's it? Ish. I, I mean, it's yeah. somewhere in the two hundred. Like, yeah, I Jerry haven't... felt like he was just in a different world. Different strategy. I think he is for like yardage, right? He's like six thousand yards ahead of anyone else. But yeah, receptions, receptions are... he's actually possibly attainable. It was unbelievable how how well Jerry Rice was still running routes in his forties with the Raiders. Right, that's the like thing. Him and right? Rich Gannon. He just pushed those final years so beyond what anybody else has ever gone for that the numbers went silly. And so it's not that that's not just that he was arguably the best ever. It's that he then hung on for longer than anybody else. So the numbers just got absurd. I would have loved to have been podcasting back in like Okay, so we're 223 receptions behind him. Hmm. So that's two full solid seasons and probably another half. It's still a lot of receptions. Right, but he's now in this air raid system that's going to be passing a lot. Yeah. It's not. I'm just saying, like, for the first time I've looked at a Jerry Rice number and thought, you know what? Somebody could it's actually achievable. hit that. Yeah. Um, anything else in this game? This no, there really is really else um, in this game. This was miserable. Uh, Seattle. So let's look forward. Okay. Thursday night, Seattle's playing the Rams. Both three and one. Uh, Seattle lost at home to the Saints. The Rams lost at home to the Bucks. How about that NFC South? Um, this is this is huge for the division, obviously. Yeah. And short week that's what we're looking at this week i think it's one of the better thursday night games again no last week was a good game too goff needs to bounce back for the rams uh wilson's playing some of the best football in the nfl among quarterbacks he had a couple turnover worthy plays yesterday that he got away with as well um but i think this will be a good one i think it'll be interesting yeah this is a big i think a big game for the division and we'll see the seahawks have been bouncing back and forth between shock defeat at home <laughs> big big game on the road let's see where this ends up i think seattle's seattle's coverage unit played better obviously against arizona and they're not so good yeah um offense they'll be challenged still even though the o-line is you know right struggling still, with the rams we talked about all those open throws that golf was missing like they're still yeah. creating plays there um, more breaking news is bobby wagner missed another tackle damn it bobby so um, that's now uh four one per game one in each game that's four a disaster on the for him is that already a career high? 
almost. Uh, he's had five. He had five in all of 2017 and 18 combined. He now has four. Yeah, here in 2018. The uh, the Vikings at Bears game went almost exactly as we said it was going to be. It yeah. was a low scoring defensive battle, some ugly offensive football. It was going to come down to which quarterback was able to stand up and make plays when it most mattered. Turns out we nailed it. it we just didn't expect the quarterback to be Chase Daniel. Yeah. Um, he played pretty well. He did. He just so, you know, hit the open throws. Right. Trubisky goes down after like six snaps. Um, Chase Daniel comes in, plays better than Trubisky has all season. The Vikings defense played pretty well. But Chase Daniel was able to make some plays. And then on the other side, Kirk Cousins was awful. So Kirk Cousins got dramatically outplayed by Chase Daniel. Consequently, Chicago won the game. Kirk Cousins, I, man, I tweeted yesterday, the real, the biggest trick he's ever pulled was coming out of this game with a 90-plus passer rating. He ended up at 91.6. That's amazing. And if you watch the game, they didn't score a point until, what, five minutes left in the yeah, fourth right, quarter? Right the death. I mean, he, this is like, he's just got a knack for this stuff. Well, it's, he somehow hides all of his bad plays in the stuff that doesn't count in the box score. It's like fumbles and just hanging around the pocket to the point where people jump on you and ruin the, the drive. Like, so, again, so all their problems are the same, right? The Vikings' offensive line is terrible. It's bad. And the fact that they were able to run the ball early in the year was largely down to Dalvin Cook. We did, few we did say that, right? plays here yeah. and there, right? But they're getting abused. Pat Elfline is no better at guard than he was at center. Garrett Bradbury is getting his ass kicked by... And let's not forget, right? Akeem Hicks was on the sideline. Like, they did not have the dominant defensive uh, front that we were saying might be a problem or you would be concerned by. They, he was getting his ass kicked by guys that were significantly worse than Akeem Hicks. Um, so the entire offensive line is a major problem still. Uh, we roll into a game against Khalil Mack, so obviously Riley Reef is going to struggle this time, right? Again, yep. no shame in that. He is an average tackle, and average tackles lose to all pro edge rushers. So the entire offensive line was bad, but these are the games that Kirk Cousins needs to step up in, and he couldn't. And Kirk Cousins has gone from... You know, the, the idea of Kirk Cousins is predicated on he is an average quarterback overall that is capable of both very, very good plays or very, very good games and very, very bad games. And you just hope that the very, very good games come when you most need them, right? Because that's, that's games like this, games against the Packers, games in the playoffs. That's when you need those big games. And if they don't, all right, that was the gamble you took, right? Yeah. But right now, he's playing not like an average quarterback. He's playing like one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. And I guess there are two ways of looking at that, right? Either this has just gone disastrously wrong, the entire plan is unraveling, and the Vikings are pretty close to having to blow this whole thing up and start over. Or maybe he's getting all of his terrible games out of the way early and late into the season – you're going to get the good games Kirk Cousins shows up for, and you might actually need them. Well, there's going to be there's there's a little bit of truth to that because two of the three road division games are out of the way. Right. This was the opposite of what happened last year. Exactly, where he looked fantastic early and then stank in all the big games late on. And listen, there's going to be come up. We're going to be sitting here in week twelve, and the Vikings are going to be with like a 500 record or something like that, and you're going to be like, well, Cousins isn't doing that bad. He's got a passer rating of 96 and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, he came out of this game where he was terrible yeah. with a passer rating of 91. He, the stats are still going to look okay. Now, it's not going to capture this fumble. By the way, this is um, 
one of my guys killing one of my other guys here. Dalvin Cook whiffs on the pass block. Oh, he got destroyed against Nick Kwiatkowski. Yeah, twice. So he got yeah. this one play where Kwiatkowski like gives him a little shimmy, just goes straight by him. There's another play where Kwiatkowski runs right through him. Like Dalvin gets jacked back and flies like four yards backwards just because straight up the I didn't, middle. I never liked Dalvin for his pass pro. No. Just everything else. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Cousins put the ball in harm's way again a ton. Nothing showed up in there statistically. He's um, – to me, when things when, – when you when you have a good defense, all – just so many passes are just contested. And that and there's just so many catches, you know, passes at the catch point where it's just not where it needs to be or it's not, you know, zipped in there enough or whatever it is and they're getting batted down. He did drop in that nice, what, fourth down – uh, bomb, yeah, in stride. I mean, that was a great throw, but, but that also was, missed that like was a it. couple of like he missed Thielen deep early in the game. Yes. That was a huge play. Um, he's just like he's playing very badly at the moment. If he continues to play at this level, he's gone after the year, and this was a bad decision. But the idea was you were never sold in the idea of him being great week in week out. Now they needed him to bounce back and actually have some good Kirk Cousins games. Um, and if he does, the good news is they might come at the most opportune times this year. But this is ugly. Um, did, did you see Thielen's comments after the game? Yeah. Basically saying at some point they need to be able to pass the ball. And he's not wrong. No, he's not wrong. I mean, he should just be sitting here. I mean, he sounds like us on the podcast. Right. Like, so Mike, like Mike Florio's like, oh, okay, yeah. This uh, ground and pound game means, you know, maybe Stephon Diggs should get traded or something like that. It's like we're three weeks into the season and you think it's a viable strategy to have more rushing yards than well, passing yeah, yards, and that's the, what they want to do. He was the same guy last week who was like, oh, if they embrace this as a, as a game plan, they could have a special season. To which I replied, or they're going to lose against every team with a good defense. It's just ridiculous. And so far, we're 1-0 and on that being correct. Who do the Vikings have next week? Cousins feel like, feels like we need a nice dome <laughs> nice four Raiders touchdown. bounce back game yeah. again. We need a nice dome four touchdown outing for uh, Kirk's stats right now. Um, the, so the other thing, we have to ask the question. Are the Bears actually in better shape with uh, Chase Daniel, the quarterback? I mean, if he plays like he did yesterday, that was a much better combination of, hey, here's some open throws, here's a Tariq Cohen, here's some playmakers in space. You know the Giant, or who the Vikings are playing next week? Giants? Yeah. It is the Giants. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He'll go three or four touchdowns, no picks. He'll be right back in the top ten passer rating. <laughs> race and then we're going to be sitting well the vikings are three and two and kirk cousins playing good football yeah god um yeah so the bears thing right honestly so i tweeted this morning that i genuinely think it might be best for both parties to be without trubisky for a few weeks computer died oh yeah that's unfortunate just gonna wing it you do it yeah no one will know um don't tell anybody no our dr david chow one of the uh one of those twitter doctor people oh yeah he immediately diagnosed when the thing happened that Trubisky's done for the game. I'm not coming back. Like, that's, that's bad. True. Uh, now he's saying they have a bye, I think, in week six, probably back for week seven. So that gives them a few weeks without Trubisky. And honestly, I think that might be best for both parties, right? One, because they looked better without him yesterday, right? Chase Daniel was able to do the stuff that Trubisky hasn't been able to do so far this season. It looked like they kind of relaxed the game plan a little bit when that happened. Yeah. Um, and actually took advantage of some of that stuff. Didn't. So I think game planning. Right. So I think for Chicago, that's good. The other thing is, honestly, at this point, Trubisky might need like the ability to have a break and reset, right? Like, something that's, when you get into the season, it's just, it's routine. It's, it's next week, on to the next team, game plan, practice, out we go. You know what I mean? There's no like, 
there's no break to be able to reset stuff when things are going horribly wrong. You just get stuck in a rut. So he might need a few weeks where you forget about all that stuff. You're just rehabbing and get yourself back to the to where you need to be and try and take another run at this thing because I don't think this season was going to uh, right itself from where he was headed. He he had that last year. Remember, Chase Daniel started, what, two games? Thanksgiving and everything. And Trubisky was a little bit better after that break. We've heard Bruce Gradkowski talk about Sam Darnold last year, got hurt, watched Josh McCown prep and play right. for a couple of weeks. Maybe there is something to that. I'm not ready to say Chase Daniel is better than Mitch Trubisky just because we also have some Chase Daniel right. evidence that he's like yesterday was one of his better games yes. of his career. Mm-hmm. It's not a consistent thing. No. As much as I would love to say, well, yeah, Trubisky's been terrible. Just get the next guy in there. I don't think it's a clear. Oh, I don't know, think it's clear. Dunk. I don't think it's clear, but I think it's worth. I don't think it's crazy to ask the question at this point um, because I think Trubisky is markedly worse than he was last year. Um, and it didn't look like it was getting better anytime soon. So at that point, you're not asking like peak ceiling, you know, peak. Peak play, which guy's better? You're asking right now, given the way Trubisky is trending, is, is Daniel better than him? And the answer is maybe. Potentially. And we talked a lot in the offseason about the Bears' defense regressing, but they haven't really regressed. No. They've, that's, been, they've been sensational. The great thing for this team is they're not in a bad situation. The defense is playing really well. It hasn't regressed. And if they just get passable quarterback play, they're, they're one of the hardest teams to beat in the NFL. So, okay, your quarter, the options for that are Chase Daniel, a career backup whose greatest achievement is like his dollar per pass attempt figure. Ruined or, yesterday. Yeah, or Mitchell Trubisky, who has been playing bad and getting worse. Yeah. So it's not a great situation from that standpoint. But the good news is you have a great play caller and you have a great defense, so you don't need him to be that good. The story of yesterday was uh, defense across the league, really. It was not a great offensive day Last game for anybody. Sunday Dallas, night football. New Orleans. Teddy just wins. Just wins games. That's all he does. All he does is This win. was like a carbon copy of last year's game that Dallas yeah. won right. against the Saints, what, 13 to 10? And so as much as people are going to be like, hey, you know, if Drew Brees was in there, they'd score more points. Well, I, you know, I know it's at home and they probably would have. But they still they scored only 10 against Dallas last year when Brees was rolling. Mm-hmm. Both defenses flying around. Uh, we talk about making catches difficult. I mean, that was the story of the game. Yeah, this was, I think it was a good game. Both, both, you know, Teddy Bridgewater's conservative approach, it wasn't the worst thing in the world because nobody was scoring. Can right? I sum up Teddy really quick? Do it. They ran a flea flicker. Yes, he checked out. And completed an eight-yard pass. <laughs> now, listen, he wasn't wrong because the downfield option was there, but that yeah. was, I was about to text you and be like, nothing sums up Teddy like a flea flicker for eight. You didn't need to. I was already <laughs> thinking it. I, I it watched so it happen. Great. was like, God, that couldn't be more Teddy. Um, he made, and we had to, we downgraded him bad for taking that sack. Yeah. That was just the <sighs> one was, thing you can't do and not just take a sack, but also lose another seven or eight yards. I know. I was kind of torn on that play because, so the way it unfolded, like guy steams right up the middle, you know, typically quarterbacks at that point, they try and spin out of it one direction. He just picked the wrong direction, right? He spun out left and there's a guy then looping around that side. And now you're screwed, right? Because there's guys pinning you in. Right. And you, the only thing you can do is lose the yardage at that point. The, so I'm not entirely absolving it, but what you have to say at that point is that the first pressure that comes, you need to fling the ball away immediately. Oh, yeah. Like you just, you literally can't be, try and escape the first guy. You can't take the sack. And there's a huge amount of, like, that's fighting a lot of instinct. You know, to just to know that to inherently know that I can probably make this first guy miss 
and get out of the the hell. Like to, I'm I'm just saying it's it's a bad play, but not one that I'm like Twitter was going insane. Like oh, it's the worst thing, idiot! What are you doing? Can't take that. Like sure, it's a bad play, but you are asking him to do a lot to just say you cannot do what you just did there. My question is when you've got you have three downs to run out the clock. If the Taysom Hill package is so good, wouldn't that be the time to run it? <laughs> so it's like, all right, it's first and ten. We got to run the clock, and every team gets put in a tough situation, right? The old, the old way would be like run the ball three times and just hope you get it. It's yeah. really tough to do that in today's NFL. You know, get tight and run it or whatever. So if you have creative plays, if you've got a jet sweep in there, if you have Steve Young on the bench, yes, it'd be a great time. That to, would be the time to deploy Steve Young, right? It, that that's just my take on on that. Yeah. Um, Dak Prescott, his worst statistical game. I still thought he, he played all right. Um, I love, by the way, on the on the Hill Mary what the Saints did. A little five, four or five man pressure. The blitz, the, Hill the Mary. corner blitz. blitz yeah. yeah, I mean That's that smart. should be a staple. Right, that like, was like what the Cardinals tried to do at Aaron Rodgers. He slot, just spun yeah, out. The slot corner is basically pointless in a Hail Mary anyway. So you yeah. might as well send him on a blitz. I, yeah, absolutely. So you know, Dak had to get rid of the ball quickly, threw it up, and ended up being a, an unlucky interception that hurt his stats. But We finally saw the real Marshawn Lattimore again. Or is this the real Marshawn Lattimore? Or is the real one the guy that shows up for the first three weeks of every season and gets gashed? I just, I just think he's really good, but has just consistent matchup after matchup after matchup, and it's just tough to be. I At think quarterback, a it, it's tough to be that good every week against good players. The other thing is I think a lot of it is he's a guy that needs to be locked up in man coverage basically all the time. Yeah. Like you need to just say, go out there, take away your man every single snap. That's all you're doing. Forget about everything else. And when you ask him to do other things, he's not that good. Yeah. So I, Like they were saying that, you know, they, they've been told during the week that, oh, he just, he really gets up for these, you know, the, the better the opponent, the better he shows up. And some, you know, I, that strikes me as just, uh, an excuse for why he hadn't played that well so far. It's like, ah, yeah, he hasn't played that well so far. But Amari Cooper's coming to town. Now we're really going to get up for it. He did a pretty like, nice dude, job. DeAndre Hopkins came to town the first week. You're telling me that wasn't enough to get him going? Does Dallas lose any luster here? Do you look at Dallas and say, all right, those first three weeks were against Miami, ah, the Giants, and the Redskins? A bit. I mean, the first three weeks definitely favored, like, made them look good. But... This happened last year, right? We've seen the Saints defense in their own building. Or, you know, we've seen the Saints defense show up. We've been asking where it was for the first few weeks. So this coming back, I don't think is a huge surprise. So again, I think we're probably talking about somewhere in the middle, right? They're not as bad as they looked yesterday, and they're not as good as they looked when they're racking up points on the Dolphins. Saints now 2-0 and with Teddy Bridgewater. As all he does is win games. That's all he does. So there you have it. It's week four, man. Yeah. What's the plan the rest of the week now? So we are still going to be doing our midweek bonus podcast slash mailbag, right? But it's only going to be on YouTube. It's not going to be... Keep it on YouTube. Right. It's going to be bonus YouTube content. It's not going to go out on the audio feed. So if you're listening on Spotify, iTunes, whatever it is you listen to your podcasts, it's not going to be there. So the next you will hear of us on your audio uh, platform of choice will be the preview weekend show. All right. So we're going to stick with reviews and previews. Yep. For pot from podcast uh, podcast style, but if you guys want to see us on YouTube, head to the YouTube. midweek. Go check that out on Wednesday. So there you have it. We'll talk to you guys on Wednesday and or Thursday. Hopefully. See you guys. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle. 
all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.